You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Church, uh, campus church, wherever you're listening to these messages, we just pray and hope that you're constantly encouraged. And what Mark was saying earlier, it is our heart not to just gather together, but it's our heart to engage you in being a follower of Jesus Christ. And we want to continue to do that. We want to do that in person. We want to do that online in every way possible. I think most of you know that we're learning different ways on how to pastor. We're learning different ways on how to lead different ways to get the gospel of Jesus out into the world, into your life, into your family, making it real to you. And so we want to continue to do that. What I'd like to do this morning is I want to just take a a few minutes and I want to speak primarily to our online church. And I want to thank our Canby Foursquare Church online because you uh, have been amazingly blessed in our lives. You have blessed us tremendously. And we know that the last several months have not been easy at all, especially if you're a young family where you're doing a lot of different things. You're shuffling schedules. You're going to different events. You're, you're a school teacher now. You're doing all kinds of things that you weren't doing six or eight months ago. And so please know that we are praying for you, that our, our, our heart is with you. We also want to speak to those others that are online this morning with us, that you are deeply valued and very, very much appreciated. I know sometimes online you might feel like you're on the, the outskirts of what's going on in community, but please know that you are not on the outskirts as far as we're thinking and praying for you, that every week in my own heart I'm preparing and praying for those that will be online with us, our church that will be online with us. And we want you to know that you are loved and cared for, that you do belong. And if there's been anything that I've done to make you feel like you're on the fringes, please forgive me. We're all trying to adjust. I know that when we get together, our team gets together, what we try to do is we try to make the changes, adjustments, make any additions, any subtractions that we need to make. I think all of us are in this learning curve. I know you are at home. You're in the same learning curve we're on. But we want to make sure that you have a sense of connection and a sense of belonging with Jesus Christ and with Canby Foursquare Church. So my commitment to you is this. Uh, it, It is to do all that we can to help you become a growing follower of Jesus Christ with one addition, and that is that you would help others grow in Jesus Christ as well. That our mantra around here, the thing that we continue to preach is make disciples who make disciples for Jesus. We want to keep doing that. Again, I said earlier, this isn't just about gathering together. This is about engaging in real life, real time followership of Jesus. So here's my ask of our Canby Foursquare Church online. If you would just let us know how we can help you. We're looking to overcome the barriers that get in the way when we're not in person. So we're asking you to help us. Tell us how we can help you uh, be a follower of Jesus Christ and how we can help you help others follow Jesus Christ. So please let us know. We are blessed to have a great team here that constantly is looking for ways to, um, to encourage our followership, our discipleship of Jesus Christ. We need to engage. With everything that's going on, we cannot be just spectators in this, in this walk, this journey with Jesus. But we need to engage and grow every single day in our relationship with Jesus and understanding God's Word. 
So while I know these times are really unusual, they're very difficult, they're different, uh, we have really been caused to uh, rethink and change the way that we do church. So it hasn't changed the fact that we are church. It just changes the way we think about church. We don't want to leave any stone unturned, especially when it comes to getting the gospel of Jesus out there. And that's the beauty of God's church, that over the thousands of years that it's been in existence, it's always made the changes necessary so Jesus Christ can be glorified. And we want to continue to do that. We know this, that our heart and our call never changes. It's to get the good news of Jesus out there. And so these past eight months, you have been incredibly steadfast. And now I'm speaking to the folks in this room as well. Incredibly, incredibly steadfast. I know that this is not a perfect journey. We're finding out things about our own heart, our own life that maybe we didn't want to find out. Uh, But this is what's happened. That's what God does when we get in difficult times. But you're standing on the rock of Jesus Christ and you will not be moved. When we stand firmly on Jesus Christ, we will not be moved. We've been able to witness uh, our online church, our on-campus gatherings continue to grow. I had a family come up to me just a a couple weeks ago. First time I met them, and I said, well, when did you start coming to church? And they said, we started coming online, and uh, this is their home church. It was so good for me to be able to meet people who have engaged with us online that are now coming and attending. Our youth, our young adults, our women's ministries, our children's ministries continue to just grow and see what I think are just the the indications of revival, of what God's wanting to do in the lives and hearts of people. Our recovery groups are knocking it out of the park. Uh, When you drive by here, maybe on Friday evening, and you see all those chairs sitting out uh, on the lawn, there's probably 80 to 90 people in our NA group, and we have a great pastor who leads them, Kevin Logan. I call him our pastor because he is. That's what he does. That's his heart. He leads people. We're seeing other home groups grow as well. And again, the whole reason we're doing this and every effort we make is to engage you into the one who can change our lives, to engage you in a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we want Jesus Christ to be supreme in everything that we do. So here's a few ways that that you can help, a few things that you can do. You can pass on the messages that you hear. You can just share them with people, whether you're YouTube or your Facebook or your Instagram. Just pass that on. Get the word out. We still need volunteers with hospitality, uh, our worship team. We need volunteers as we slowly and safely re-engage back. How many have seen that happening? Have you noticed that things, and we're doing this in a very prayerful way, calculated way. In fact, we consult with our county health department whenever we go about the business we're doing with our police and with our fire. In fact, uh, Chris White, our business executive, he talked to the county health department the other day and they said, you guys are like A number one. You're our model on how to do this right. We get to still be here and worship the Lord. We're open. Our doors are open because there's just a commitment to make sure that we follow Jesus and we keep leading well. So look for ways that you can volunteer. Don't let your volunteerism, your heart, your muscles of volunteering go weak during this time. Laundry Love is one other place that you can get. Can be sinner. There are things going on around here. Um, We want to make sure 
that you're involved. We have small group discussions going on, as Mark had mentioned earlier. That is why we're putting this sermon outline, which you can go to right now, and any of the sermons, you can find outlines that you can use for small group discussions in your home, at work, wherever you are. We're working at making that more robust for you. So there'll be questions and outlines. And then you can do this. Keep being generous because you've been an incredibly generous people. And we're going to give in the next month or two. We'll give you a report on the last fiscal year just so you're aware of what's happening. Uh, Keep being faithful there. And, And the good news is this. The bottom line is this. We've been healthy financially thanks to you during a very, very difficult, difficult time. Doesn't mean it doesn't come without a lot of decisions and, and, and tough ones. You know that because if you own a business, you know what that feels like. And we're looking at this the same way. We're having to say, okay, how do we do this well? And how do we keep perpetuating the gospel? How do we keep growing in Jesus? So I want to personally thank you for your amazing generosity, both the on-campus church and the patio and for those that are online Thank you for your generosity in all you do to keep this thing moving forward. We want to keep moving forward. With that said, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to jump in with me now. We are, as Mark said, in a series called Steadfast. We're looking at 2 Peter chapter 1. And today we're going to look at verses 12 through 15 first and then 16 through 21. So I'm going to break down this passage into two sections. There's a reason for that is because what Peter says in these first few verses has everything to do with with who he is in the body of Christ during that time. Peter, when he writes this, is probably in his 70s. And he he writes this to a group of people that have been scattered abroad. But he's sharing from his heart knowing that he has just probably a few months left to live. He He knows his time is coming And so he's writing these words for us to hear. An old man about to be crucified tells us how to advance the gospel of Jesus in difficult times. How do you live? What do you think about? And here's what Peter says beginning at verse 12. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made very clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you always be able to remember these things. Peter opens up his heart and he tells some things that are very true about what Jesus has spoken to him. That his life on this planet isn't going to last much longer. So it is a subject matter that makes us feel a bit uncomfortable. I mean, when we talk about death, it's an uncomfortable subject. But what Peter does here is nothing is off limits. What Peter does is he opens up his heart. And really what I see here is a shepherd's heart who's saying, Listen, I want you to know that I'll be leaving. But before I go, I want to prepare you for what's ahead. Does that sound familiar? It sounds exactly like what Jesus had spoken to Peter before Jesus left. So Peter is just reproducing what he heard Jesus say to him. Peter opens his heart. He talks about this. See, we are, we're creatures of time, but all of us who know Jesus Christ are bound for eternity. We're bound for heaven. And that, that, that subject, that reality, I think is something that's going to keep us 
looking ahead. It's going to keep us in perspective, the world that we're part of. It's going to keep everything that's going on around us now in perspective because that's exactly what eternity does. You see, Peter brings together life, death, and eternal life here. What does he do? He does a few things in these few verses, and I want to tell you what he does here. First of all, he he begins, or he always lives with the end in mind. So he's living with the end in mind, especially as he grows older, especially as he understands God has already given him an indication that he isn't going to be around much longer. Now, if you go back to a verse we studied last week, verse 11, it says this. It says, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. For those that missed that, it was a deep meaning of what it means to be welcomed richly into the eternal kingdom. It's the the idea of an athlete that receives a gold medal, but that's only part of the rich reward that he receives. The richer, the greater reward is when he goes back to his homeland and he celebrates his accomplishment with those that got him there. His family, his friends, his coaches, his trainers. And that someday all of us will be in heaven together rejoicing and will be with the people who helped us get us there. That is the rich welcome that Peter is talking about. And now he's saying, I'm going to go be one of those people. I'm going to be one of those people that go and waits for you to come. And when you come, there is going to be a rich welcome, a celebration of Jesus Christ and what he has done in your life. And then you go to verse 12. Look at verse 12 again. It says, so I will always remind you of these things. What's he saying there? He goes, I'm I'm constantly aware of that we are going to be entering heaven, that I'm going to be entering heaven one day because Peter's motivation now and everything he does is to remember that heaven is his home. Heaven is his eternal destination. That there's something happening here that he's, he's leaving, gradually leaving this planet and making this transition into heaven. Peter knew that his own death was coming soon. John chapter 21, if you remember the conversation that Jesus had with Peter when he was a young man, and, and it's right after the resurrection, and, and, and Peter has denied Jesus, and Jesus sits down with him and he says, listen, I, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed my lambs. And by the way, there's going to be a day that people are going to bind your hands, bind your feet, and take you to a place that you don't want to go. Peter is now understanding that day is coming for him. The reality of prophecy being fulfilled in his life is coming. And, and he says that in these few verses. In verse 15, you see the word departure there? It's the Greek word exodus. I like to look those things up every now and again because I think I know what they mean until I actually get in and find out what they really mean. I mean, when I say the word exodus, you all have something in mind. You probably have a biblical event in mind. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, you have an exodus. When you leave this room, there's a door that says exit. Exodus comes all from that same word. Here's what we may not know. The word exodus not only equally weighs that you're leaving something, but that you're also going somewhere. It's not leaving you empty. It's not leaving you void. So when the Bible uses the word exodus, it says, yes, you're leaving, because that's usually what we think, but you're going to somewhere, and you're going to somewhere better. Children of Israel left Egypt to go to somewhere better better. It was harder for them. You are going to be leaving this planet as Peter's talking about his departure. He's saying, I'm going to go somewhere better. 
So that's really the fullness of that word, that Peter's not hinting here. He is clearly saying, I'm on my way out. I'm on my way out. Uh, several years ago, after I'd just become pastor here at Canby Foursquare Church, I received a call that my uh, grandmother was terminally ill. Uh, my grandmother and grandfather were dear to my heart and uh, really encouraged my relationship with Jesus Christ, prayed for me. And so, uh, so I jumped on an airplane. I headed down to where my grandparents lived in Southern California. And my grandfather really needed to take a rest. My grandmother was at home. Uh, she, was, she was struggling, and my, my grandpa hadn't slept in days. And so I said, Granddad, why don't you take it easy, and I'll stay up with Grandma tonight. And, uh, and I did. Uh, and in the middle of the night, she got up, and she started cleaning the house. Uh, I knew she was a little fastidious, but to do that when you're terminally ill, and I'm wondering, Grandma, you don't have to do that. Listen, I can do this for you. Uh, I'll take care of it in the morning. She goes, no, I really need to get ready. I, get, I have to get ready. And I said, Grandma, what are you getting ready for? She goes, I have to get ready for the party. Uh, the party's coming, and I have to get ready. I, I, I want to be ready. I want to be there. I want to be at the party. Uh, it was that afternoon that she passed away, and then all of it made sense to me. You see, God's so gracious. He was, he was letting her know that she was going to exit. She was going on an exodus, one life to another, eternal life with Jesus Christ. God has a way of doing these wonderful things in our lives. Wherever you start thinking, or whenever you start thinking yourself, and I have to do this, when you start thinking of yourself more important than you really are, uh, we call that being a legend in our own mind. <laughs> Or that people can't live without you. Maybe you've had that. You wouldn't say that to anybody, but you probably have thought about that. I know I have at times, and what I'll typically do in the exercise I go to, it's not one you necessarily need to do, but it's one I do. I go out to the cemetery, and I look at all the gravestones out there and recognize my mortality. I read through the obituaries every now and again. I go, yep. We all like to believe that we would avoid this thing. Peter's saying, Don't avoid it, embrace it, and know that there's a greater life in Jesus. Know that there's an eternity waiting for you. When you spend some time thinking about the end of your life, you start to deal with the basics and you start getting real. You get real with your own humanity. You get real with your own relationships. You get real mostly in your relationship with Jesus Christ because we do know the end is coming. We just don't know when the end is coming. There's another reason I think it's important to always have the end in mind. I think it makes us wiser in the decisions we make today. Have you ever thought about that? I think the reason I had some foolish moments when I was younger, probably still do, hopefully not as many, but when I was younger was because I just didn't think about the end. I I wasn't thinking a lot about my, my days at the end. Uh, I, think, I think about them, not morosely, I'm not, but I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I want to be wise. I want to make decisions now that move us beyond where we are. And that really is what is here, the second thing that Peter does here, is he, he lives for the benefit of others. So he lives with the end in mind, but he also lives for the benefit of others. The very way that Peter frames what you're reading here, this passage of Scripture, I don't know if you noticed this, but this passage lets you know that he was others-minded. The word your appears four times. The word you appears 11 times in just those few verses. So he's not thinking necessarily about himself. He's thinking about you. 
He's thinking about your life beyond his departure. What does that look like? So Peter lived for the benefit of others, and he did so in two ways. Number one, it says here, he reminded them. Um, you know, you need to have people in your life who remind you of things. I'm, I'm so thankful. I, I have Annette. She reminds me of things because there are times I conveniently forget things that she reminds me of. There are things that people around me remind me of. But I think especially in your spiritual journey, to have people who are a little bit older than we are, people down the road a little ways, that remind you of who you really belong to. That they remind you, just even watching their life, it might not even come out in words, but they remind you that you need to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm sure Peter's presence, in letter and in person, reminded people of what it is to follow Jesus. He had a first account of knowing Jesus Christ. And then I think the other thing Peter does here, living for the benefit of others, is he woke them up. Uh, There's something about the passion of Peter that didn't run dry even in his older age. You see that when he's younger, but now you really see it when he's older that he was stirring something up. That word woke just means it gets something alive in you again. That there's a passion to follow Jesus, a passion to love Jesus, a passion to serve others. That's what Peter does. He woke them up in verse 13. And then you go to a third thought that Peter gives us, and that is live for a legacy that outlives you. I I need to repeat that. Live for a legacy that outlives you. The decision I, I make, the decisions I make in life, oftentimes I, I, I recognize that they benefit me one way or another. They benefit me first if they're just decisions that are affecting my tomorrow, but they're also benefiting me for the decisions I make that benefit me in the 20 or 30 years from now. What Peter's saying here is make decisions that actually leave a legacy that outlives you. Notice what he says here. Peter says, hey, I'm, when I'm gone, I'm going to, you're going to remember me. When I'm gone, you're, you're going to follow the, and hear the words that I've spoken to you. I don't know if you've had people like that in your life, but I have had people like that in my life. They're, they're well gone, and they, they've been in heaven for a long time, and I'll get to a certain juncture in life, getting ready to make certain decisions, and their phrase or their word or their encouragement comes to my mind and I'm so thankful because what's happening is their legacy is outliving them just by those words. What are you doing right now to have a legacy that that outlives you? Because this is amazing. It's 2,000 years later and we're reading First and Second Peter and it still speaks to you today. It still speaks to me today. What are, you, what are you leaving behind? What are the things that you leave behind? What is your legacy? I think an example of a well-lived life is, is, has a few to it. One is that having your affairs in order, making sure that's done, making sure you take care of those things, and then passing, most of all, passing your faith on to the next generation. And I can tell you without hesitation that this is the greatest driving force of my life. That ever since we came here, Annette and I, 32 years ago, we were thinking about the next generation. It's a driving force in our lives. We think about it constantly. We think about it every single day. Not just for our biological kids and grandkids, but for those that are part of this church community, those that are a part of a younger generation. 
wherever we go, we want to have an eye on them and pay attention to them, have conversations with them, engage a younger generation. And so what I want to do is when I'm gone, they say, yeah, I remember that old guy. I remember he just pulled me aside and talked to me. Yeah, I remember. Who was that? Because it just made me feel better. It just encouraged me. That's the kind of legacy that we can leave to our kids and our grandkids. Now I'm going to brag a little here here, because I heard last week something that just encouraged my heart, and that is my oldest Ella, my oldest grandchild, who's 14 years old, along with her best friend Kyla, they got together and they wrote a worship song. Isn't that great when they can get together and worship the Lord together and what you recognize is hopefully you've had a little part in encouraging that to happen. I can't encourage her her vocal gifts because I don't have any, but I hope I inspire her in following Jesus Christ. So then we go on here. I'm going to finish up here in just a moment. You go to verses 16 through 21 where Peter moves and he writes about how do we know something is true? So he's pressing these people. Remember, he's wanting to dispel false teachings. He's wanting to dispel false perceptions of who Jesus is. And so he answers the question, how do we know something is true? I think this is a pretty timely question right now. I think this is a very timely question. It always is, but probably more now. I watched an interview the other day on 60 Minutes, and it was about where people go to inform themselves. What are their resources? In other words, where do they go to find truth? FYI, uh, what was noticeably absent to me was God's Word. Noticeably absent. Number one place people go is not God's Word, nor is it the news media or news outlets. That kind of surprised me. I, I thought maybe, maybe there. By far, and really no second even comes close, social media platforms. That's where people go to be informed. Now, just let your mind go with you. Yeah, you're going down the same, maybe the road I'm going down. Because what it did, it was a bit scary to me. While I'm glad people have a voice, there, there, there are so many voices out there that may be labeled Christian that are not healthy. And I'm praying that God's Spirit gives you this keen, keen discernment of what's true and what's not. And listen to your heart. Listen to the voice of God's Holy Spirit. And I'm going to talk to you just a minute about this, but how do we weigh that? Pay attention to that, because I've received a number of emails, especially over the last eight months, and and Christians are so passionate that they're stating their case. And I get that. There's a lot of things to be passionate about right now, but their sources oftentimes are not God's Word. That God's Word is not quoted What is quoted is a Christian podcast or a pod celebrity. And if the word was used, it was not a first source, but a source to back up the podcaster out of context. Why do we need to know God's word today? Listen, we have to understand that the Bible tells us in these latter days, there's going to be a whole lot of deception. Our primary source is God's Word. Ask yourself, how much time do you spend other places? And that's a fair question to ask. What's feeding your soul? Listen, what Peter says in verses 16 through 21, 
And I want you to hear what he says here. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. Peter heard and was present at the water baptism of Jesus Christ. With I, who I am well pleased, he goes on, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Again, Peter present in the Mount of Transfiguration. We also have prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I love that. Let me tell you what he's talking about here. Uh, There are basically two ways that we understand truth today, and Peter cites those. One is personal experience. What is your personal experience with Jesus Christ? Again, it's not the only thing. We're going to talk about Scripture here in a moment. But your testimony has a lot to do with the way that you live life and the way that you shine Jesus. So he's saying, here's my testimony. (laughs) How would you love this one? My testimony was I hung out with Jesus personally. I was there at his water baptism. I was there at the Mount of Transfiguration. He had a story to tell. You have a story to tell. All of you who have come to faith in Jesus Christ have a story to tell. Tell that story because that is the the, the resurrected power of Jesus working in your life. Tell the story. And so Peter does that, and he also gives scriptural evidence here. So here's some irony that you run into today. Uh, a large population say there's absolute, absolutely no absolute truth. Have you heard that? There's absolutely no absolute truth. The, the problem with that statement is it's an absolute statement. So it's really tough. When I hear that, I'm going, well, you just, you just went there. You just proved there is absolutes. So look at verses 16 through 18 again. Peter first tells us about his personal experience with Jesus Christ. So what Peter saw, he was an eyewitness first to the water baptism of Jesus and then the transfiguration of Jesus, which points us to the second coming of Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's saying there is a second coming. Jesus is coming again. So if you were to go to court in a trial... What is your best defense? If you're, if you're there, you're being accused of something that you know you didn't do. What is your best defense? Your best defense? Oh, eyewitnesses. People who saw otherwise. They, they saw where you were. They were your alibi. <laughs> they were the people that vouched for you, that say, no, that this, what you're accusing this person of cannot be true because this person was with me. Peter is an eyewitness. He's saying, I was there. And that's a critical part of understanding what truth is all about. Personal experience involves what you see just as Peter did, but also involves what you hear. Peter heard the voice of God. He says that in verse 18, both at the baptism and transfiguration. Peter saw and he heard with a group of others. Substantiates everything now. Now it's not just Peter, but it's others. Because there were others at the baptism. There were others at the transfiguration. You have come into faith with Jesus Christ probably with others. 
I know when I was saved, when I came to faith in Jesus Christ, there was a group of us that kind of came to Jesus. That's just kind of the way it works, isn't it? That we come to faith in Jesus usually with others. Now we know this. We know that experience itself does not totally validate all of this, but Scripture evidence does. The Bible We need to know the scriptural evidence. So listen to verses 19 through 21. We've also had a prophetic message. That's what he's saying. So he's saying here a few things. First of all, the Bible is confirming. Peter says in verse 19 that the prophecy in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. Now I want you to think about this. Just in the Old Testament book of Isaiah alone, dozens and dozens of prophetic word were fulfilled. Just in that that book, the book of Isaiah. So what Peter's saying is what the book has said, the Old Testament has said, is absolutely true. You can count on it. You can bank on it. It's come true. The prophecy has been fulfilled in Messiah, Jesus Christ. Wow. We see that fulfilled. And then secondly, it's not only confirming, scriptural evidence is not only confirming, but it's enlightening. That the Bible shines a light on the things that we've experienced in our lives, especially in the last few months. I know that when the light is shining on my life, it's not always a comfortable process because I see impatience. I, I see a lot of opinion. I see things that aren't necessarily contributing to my spiritual health. That when that light shines, and that's through Scripture, It shines on those areas that we need to reckon with. And that's what happens here. God's word is a light that shines in a dark world. It's a light that shines in our life. And then the last thing here is the Bible. I want to say this clearly. The Bible is without error. There's no error in God's word. The Bible is without a bobble, a flinch, a wayward step. It's absolutely true absolutely you see when we look at scripture there this scripture that we've just read and in second timothy 3 16 these are the best scriptures for divine inspiration just remember that these are the best scriptures that speak of divine uh, uh, divine inspiration no prophecy in scripture came from the prophet itself it was inspired by god now, go down to verse 21. You see that word pushed or caught or moved? It's a mariner's term. It's actually about the wind blowing in a sail. That what we, what we do is we get our sail ready. We don't provide the wind. The wind comes from the Holy Spirit. The wind comes as God makes his word alive, his inerrant word alive in our lives, and he blows that sail in the direction that God wants us to go. That's the term that Peter's using here. So today, is our sail ready? Are we ready to move forward in God's word? Are we hearing and believing what God is saying to us? And where do we find our sources? And I'm going to encourage you again, let your source be God's word. Let it be God's word. It's God's word and your testimony that makes all the difference in the world. And we'll see others come to faith in Jesus Christ. God's going to do a good work. He's continuing to do a good work in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to thank you today for the word that you've given us and really the strength of Peter's testimony. 
that when he, he speaks to us, inspired by your Holy Spirit, there's life-changing truths. There are things that can even change our course or, or fill our sail with the breath of, of God's Spirit. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to bring all those things that we need for life and godliness, that you would work in us, work in our hearts, work in, Lord, the folks that are right here uh, on campus church, online church. Lord, we just pray that we would understand even more the truths that you bring to us. Lord, you are our source. You are our foundation, and we lean and depend on you. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say together, amen. Amen. Would you do this with me? Go ahead and stand. And uh, you're invited to go ahead and head out. We want to see you next week. We'll be here at 9 o'clock. God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.